Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna be really emotional. There is no loss for being honest. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. The responsibility we feel towards the world, like questioning, challenging, say something. Raw and vulnerable and open conversation. That was the best part. I'm scared of the friendship. Taking a breath. Just talk. Shame and guilt. Vulnerabilities. <laughs> that was about to be What does it really mean to be friends? We trust the real work that we do is overcoming our insecurities every day and learning how to love more. It has examples of the change we want to see in the world. Just talk. taking a breath. So if we just take a breath. Well, my face is on fire from the doctors. <laughs> To have healthier relationships with women, they need healthier relationships with other men. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. So I'm in an open relationship with my husband, and my husband and I sold our house ten months ago. We have twins that are four years old, we travel around the world, and this is my boyfriend. Hi! <laughs> Hi, welcome to Amory, where it's our intention to bring more love into this world, one vulnerable conversation at a time. Today, you'll be joining us for a conversation where we connect the concept of polyamory and minimalism. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world do those two things have in common? But I swear they have more in common than you may realize. Now, on a ob object level, uh, Marty and I went through a massive minimalist transformation when we downsized from a four-bedroom townhouse to just about five suitcases. And what we realized is that we've gone through kind of a similar transformation when it comes to the way that we relate to people. So I think that this episode will surprise you in the amount of connections that come up. I think it may challenge you, if you're ready to be challenged, in the way that you might be relating to both objects and people in your life. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, thanks for joining us for another episode of Amory. And we're going to talk about minimalism and polyamory and how those two things have a lot to do with one another because we're going to examine both value systems because Megan myself, Marty, and Kyle are all now minimalists, all in this polyamorous journey together. And we believe that the minimalism serves us and is relevant to the, the conversation around polyamory. And so today we're going to explore kind of how we became minimalists, then how those things and those values work for us. What is minimalism to us? And then how that compares to the value system in polyamory and overlap that exists between those. So that maybe you can learn from this episode in ways that you could be more minimalizing in your life, clear the noise, as I would say, and also find some minimalist practice that you can apply to the way you relate to people and how that can benefit you. You know what I'm thinking of? I picture our life five years ago, even pre-kids, but definitely post-kids. We had so much stuff in our house. The experience of walking into our townhouse was gut-wrenching <laughs> because I would look at all the stuff around. I would see all of these unfinished projects. All, all it, We just had piles of things and our house wasn't messy or dirty. It was just cluttered. Like we had a lot of stuff. And uh, I remember feeling, and now I can describe it as kind of an energy leak where I would look at all this stuff around me and then nice. I would have all of these beliefs come up like, oh crap, I haven't gotten around to that. I didn't fix that. What am I going to do with this? And it just was, I felt like buried in stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about noise, Marty, and I think that's a good, that's the best way I think of 
what stuff has meant to me. And yeah, I, I, 13 short years ago, I just picture myself walking down Wall Street in New York. I've got really nice shoes. I got really a really nice outfit. I had a $1,000 belt, $3,500 watch. That was what I lived in, which was consumption for status to mm-hmm. feel like, to keep up, really, not to, to really get ahead of anybody. I was trying to keep up. Yeah, and I think spending money, having objects as a, as a point of status and value. So I was trying to feel valuable by the stuff. And that was my experience, was that whole sinkhole that doesn't work. And nobody that I knew that had a lot of stuff, no matter how much money they had, was happy or felt valuable in that way. But yeah, 13 short years ago, that was my reality, was I was spending more money than I had, racking up personal debt, you know, trying to keep up and trying to be someone that I really wasn't and and really took on a belief system that wasn't mine, that really didn't align with me. But it was, it was almost crazy that if I didn't mm-hmm. in that environment. So it's kind of like your consumption and monogamy are very similar in a way that <laughs> right? we do it for status. It's all about, you know, there's a lot of this stuff that I hear now and I feel so distant from. I feel like minimalism for me was a return when I was in college oh, and yeah. after Megan and I had broken up post-college mm-hmm. you know you're in barcelona still or maybe in the states and i had a studio apartment with like four pieces of furniture that didn't match i didn't even have like a utensil dividing thing in my drawer it was just a drawer full of utensils so you'd open it up and it'd be like crash <laughs> everywhere and i didn't really care about things and i struggled with with trying to keep up at all or wanting to keep up at all and so like i went the opposite route where i had no style right i had no I didn't put any care into the aesthetic. Even what's ironic is in my my move into minimalism, I have a higher aesthetic now. And I buy more high quality now than ever before because I buy so little. And I think too that I had to change my relationship to objects to get here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think I want to dig into right away is that that's also something that we talk about in polyamory with the idea of not relating to people as objects. Right. And so I think this whole idea of clearing the noise, or as I would say in the speech I'm writing, it's about reducing the number of variables that are out there. It's about really changing your relationship to an object. Right. Why do you have it? What's the purpose of that object? What does it serve you or do you serve it? Or are you neglecting it? Mm -hmm. And therefore it costs you energy and the experience of neglect because an object either has to be maintained or neglected. Either way, it costs you. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think we got to ask the question about what it, what do we think minimalism is? Mm-hmm. Right. And is it a spectrum? So I want to answer that right away at first, and then we'll dig into some other things. So minimalism, I think, by its mathematical thing is the minimum. It's like one side of the spectrum. It's the opposite of maximum in that sense. So in a way, I don't think minimalism itself is a spectrum. I think it minimalism is staying to one end of the spectrum and trying to be as minimalist as possible. But what's actually the spectrum is our value system. What do we value in our minimalism? Because I could certainly be uber minimalist, in which case we would not be able to record these conversations because we wouldn't have phones because we'd be like, (laughs) this is too much stuff, right? So you could be that minimalist. But I think what depends on what you minimize is what you value. Materialism, I think, is on the other side, right? It's almost like if you value material things, you're probably on one side of the spectrum. If you value 
something else which isn't material i think we would argue that is experiences and relationships and mm -hmm. things that you don't pay for you don't own i think that's what has emerged for us and i think when i think about now i don't spend a lot of money for the experiences i have i create them and then they don't have to be expensive and i think a lot of the really expensive ones are stuff that everybody is already doing mm -hmm. and there's something about my experiences now are are valuable they're they're valuable because they that i create them i find them in the world so you value experience mm -hmm. over objects number one and then you value your own personal experience over the group heard experience and the experiences make me who i am so they contribute to really the value that i'm bringing in the world so right? what would Instead you say you're minimizing by the value i mean i'm clearing space which is yeah clearing space for the connections that I make and to create an experience that I want, something that will teach me something, something that I'll learn something from, I think, which adds to that flywheel of value. If I go out and do something, which is an experience and I bring it back, I'm valuable rather than if I go and buy something and I, mm -hmm. and I show it to you. That's not, I don't feel valuable from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way I view it is we are maintaining relationships. So we're in relation to everything in our life. People, objects, especially anybody that's read Marie Kondo knows the, oh, what is the name of her book? Art of Tidying Up, something like that. Marie Kondo. I'm so minimal, so, I didn't even You buy didn't it. even know. <laughs> I, did, I did read it when I finally realized that there was, I was having a problem with stuff. And the way that she filters it is you pick up an object and you ask yourself, does this object bring me joy? And if it doesn't bring you joy, then you can decide what to do with it. You can donate it. You can whatever it is, you know, either throw it away, give it to someone else, but that you're not obligated to keep an object. And she even walks people through the process of if a lot of people keep things out of obligation. Well, that was a gift. That was this. I have to keep it. And it's if you think about every object as a relationship, the more objects you have in your life, the more relationships you're actually managing. Which back to your point, Kyle, you can't, you don't have the space cleared up in your life if you're managing a thousand different objects that don't really mean that much to you. When I think about now, I've minimized a lot of my life. When I think about what is sitting in my closet right now that I haven't given away, I see still all of these suits and all of these nice, nice clothes. And that I, I, I see myself hanging on to that, to not just those objects, but that identity. Yeah. And, I'm, oh, yeah. and I've been holding on to that. And I think now it's now when I go back to Chicago, whenever I do, those are things that I think will easily be given away. And mm -hmm. I and I have some ideas of people I'd want to give them to that I think would, would appreciate them. But I think I was holding on to an identity on top of holding on to the yeah, the actual object. Yeah, all those objects. Well, I think this is. I want to get past just objects and like minimalism as a practice is more like clearing the noise, right? And noise can be objects. Noise can be people. Noise can be relationships. Noise can be a schedule, right? And so one of the things I think that as you adopt a practice of minimalism around objects, it starts to bleed into other areas of and other dimensions of your life. I think this is where when you create space, you can sometimes hear more noise, hmm. right? And so when we minimized all our stuff down to six suitcases and five suitcases and we went to Brazil first, we got to Brazil and we, we were realizing we had too much stuff. Like for one, I really like hammocks 
And I wanted, I bought all these like microfiber hammocks for us to go travel with. They're like a kilo each. They weigh like nothing. But everywhere we went that would require a hammock had a hammock. So I had this like redundancy that I never use these hammocks, right? So you learn some stuff along the way. And I was able to give that stuff away without any real attachment to it, right? And then it created more space for us. And, and we kept minimizing and kept minimizing. So our relationship to how we gained new objects changed because then we're like, if someone wanted to buy our kids something, we're like, Hey, do you want this object? And you're like, how much does it weigh? Right. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to carry it because now I'm bound by this. But then we got all the way to Chile. And when we were in Chile, the water wasn't awesome from the tap. So we kept buying bottled water and what now, because we'd minimized all these other objects out, the noise of plastic bottles was so loud in mm -hmm. contrast that we had to start tackling single use and large plastic bottles and figuring that out. And I think the same thing applies when you do this in relationships, right? You start clearing out toxic, loud, noisy, mm -hmm. time consuming relationships that don't really pay off. And you start giving yourself more time. You start realizing who you've neglected. Mm -hmm. You start realizing that one of, one of those people might be yourself and you start really being careful about who you add back in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we, oh God, that brings up so many memories because when we went through the process of selling the house and getting rid of all of our stuff, when we got to Brazil, I, there was a point where I realized I had minimized my relationships too. I was like, oh, let me filter it out and only keep the ones that are really, really, really serving me right now. And I kind of feel like I was in that goop phase, that, you know, shifting of identity and I really was only talking to a handful of people. And that actually was really helpful because I do feel like it I didn't do it intentionally, but I was really clearing the noise of relationships and minimizing relationships so that I could add them back in. So I did it intentionally when we left the States because I was caught in the noise. Like at the same time, I deactivated Facebook and all that like echo chamber of vitriol. And I was done and I needed to detach. And I felt like getting as far away from everyone that I know and everything and minimizing all of people's ability to get to me, right, was a huge, huge point of taking a huge breath, right? And I immediately collapsed in that breath because it was just too much. I started questioning everything in my life, right? And mm -hmm. I crashed right when I got to Brazil. I got sick right when I got there. But I think really the idea of detaching from everyone, taking that huge breath was a big part of minimizing the noise. Mm -hmm. What do you think was the unhealthy part of the attachment? We get addicted to our noise, right? Ooh, wait, so say that one more time. We get addicted to our noise. This is why we suck into the echo chamber of Facebook on nonsense with people that you're not going to change their mind with why I don't engage conspiracy theory anymore is because it doesn't matter. Even if the conspiracy theory is accurate, you're not going to get a whole population to move to your whim because we're, we're showing that right now. No one can cooperate, right? Like we're, we're we have... There's no point in focusing on how something went down. Of course, conspiracy theory exists. Of course, conspiracies exist. Of course, things happen this way. But most of the shit that happens that's negative happens because there's this gaping hole and it's really easy to fuck everybody. And someone just takes that takes that opportunity. And we have those opportunities everywhere because we're so distracted and addicted yeah. to our noise. We're just yelling about it all mm -hmm. the time. Right. Instead of to the same people who are yelling about it, but we're not really minimizing that. So when I minimized all of that, I detached from all of my addictive spots of noise, right? One of the things you have to go through is a process of forgiving yourself for being addicted to all that noise. Mm -hmm. 
the word that you said that caught me is distracted. We keep ourselves distracted. And that's basically what the consumer economy is. You know, people will jokingly say that they do retail therapy. It's, it's a way that we keep ourselves distracted. I'm really curious if after two months, two plus months of mostly worldwide quarantine, have people started to shift the relationship to using objects or purchasing objects as a distraction? Or have, you know, has there been a shift in what people know that they need on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis? Have we started to shift what we value? Do we value what we crave, which is a walk out in nature if, you know, people have been stuck in a a city condo for two months? Yeah, and I think polyamory aside, but through the polyamorous community, which to me is so much more than people that are practicing multiple loving multiple people there are people that are open-minded mm. and i think that's the foundation i see with a lot of people and so when i meet new people and i connect with new people one of the first things i feel like is almost a part of our new relationship fabric that we're creating is this relationship doesn't need the maintenance that i'm used to and other mm. and and which is like this obligation and this need to show attention and needs to reach out all the time and if you don't reach out, then there's some kind of, what did I do? What's wrong? You know, there's no understanding. There's no compassion or, or empathy for life. And I get a lot of people, I feel like that we've connected with through Amory and they're, and they're like, they'll be very mindful and they'll say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be like off my phone for a while. I may not respond. And I like having those conversations with people now where it's like, Hey, I'm not going to respond in an hour to everything. And like even having those conversations, I feel like are new, new, healthier ways that I'm starting to create what, you know, what would be a value system around my responsiveness to you and the attention I give you is not does not correlate to how much I care about you and and value you. It's about I have to do these things for myself and and I have to put myself first. The primary overlap that I see between minimalism and polyamory is the ability to question your own belief system as to why. Mm. why do you relate this way to that object to this person to this experience and then challenge your beliefs around why do you have something like a big part of my process of purging our house and everything when I made this decision and we decided to go I went through a process of of purging and that I had to change my questions like why do I have this object how does it serve me am I serving it and a lot of the times I didn't like the answer that I got back of why I had it. No, it was to fill fucking space. It's because this couch matches this couch. So of course I had to get both parts of the couch, right? Because otherwise it would be an incomplete set. And I'm like, how many times did I get duped by this shit? Right? Like, and I'm like getting through and like going to the house. I'm like, fuck, I bought this for that same fucking reason to fill fucking space. Mm. Right. And at the end of the day, I think when you look at your relationships with someone else, you're looking at the same thing. Like, why do I have this relationship? What is the purpose of this relationship? And when both people in a polyamorous relationship are communicating openly, both people are transparent, they value honesty, right? We value having value, right? Ethics, all these other things. I think the same thing happens in when you become a minimalist, because why do you become a minimalist? Well, I want to not fuck the planet, right? So one of the things I want to do is reduce my carbon footprint. So I have to be really fucking honest about why the hell I'm buying something and what the hell does it serve? And and am I being really inconvenienced by buying the apples that aren't coming in a bag and are not pre-sliced? So like I'm buying just apples and I'm buying less fucking material, less containers, less whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that That's a question of, what do you believe in? Mm-hmm. I love this focus on values. And the more that we talk, the more connections that are coming up for me. 
I'm realizing that I think I used to value the quantity of connections that I had with people. So I would, you know, we would throw a party and we'd have tons of people over, but they weren't really quality relationships. And, and not to say that they were bad people, you know, but it was just really about quantity. And so the question is, did I, was that as fulfilling to know a hundred people to be able to call up and like go party with a hundred people or now really having deep, meaningful conversations. And the way that I, I kind of relate that back to objects is we don't have a lot, but the objects that we have, we invest a lot in. We're like, we will pay more for that high quality item because it's going to last longer and we will, we will use it more and it's worth it. There's already inherent value in it. A side note, I'm really insulted about our parties. That's the way you would talk about them. <laughs> because no fucking way. Like, we had the best parties. And I'm like, kind of pissed I missed that on that. We really, oh, we did. Like, we, we had did. legendary we legendary parties. The people came at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and left at 4 in the fucking morning because they were great. Because we created a great, safe, open space and communicated with everybody. And it was like we were who we were. I right. think these parties are going to come back full circle yeah. in, the future, they, in the future of you, retreats. And- you, you insult my entire childhood slash college years slash all of the above. No, okay. I do love a good party. But wait, hold on. On that note. But that is really hard because I get stressed out at parties or I did. I, I you know, I love I love them, but I wasn't able to talk with everybody. It would be like a one minute conversation, one minute conversation, one minute conversation, make another connection. And they were very high energy. But what I realized, the conversations I love are the one-on-one. They're the small group. They're where we can really dig in. Well, those so happen from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And whoever <laughs> lasted that long into the party. <laughs> True. Right? So you just have whoever to. Wouldn't go it's, it's like speed dating to find out who gets to stick around for the longer, more deep conversation. But I think if I even think about the parties, the amount of consumption, like I don't drink alcohol anymore. Yeah. And I, the amount of plastic you'd waste, the amount of just sheer, sheer consumption. Mm-hmm. You know, how much money would you spend on throwing a party? To entertain everybody, to bring just the right amount of alcohol, to have too much left over and everybody fucking hung over. And it comes down to what you value. And I think what we've done is changed our value mm-hmm. system. I'd much rather go on a hike with you. I'd much rather have a deep, meaningful conversation. I do wonder what larger group events are going to feel like, because I do like that energy. But I just wonder, how are they going to be different? Yeah, maybe doing different things. I don't know. There is that energy that I miss. Could be but... on different drugs. <laughs> totally. You know. <laughs> Depends on the type of event. I mean, do you correlate quantity of relationships to quality? I mean, yes. is, there a, is there a point of diminishing return? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Less yeah. is more. It's like a search engine. The more you put in, the narrower the results are going to be. And the less you put in, the more results are going to be. So less is more. So the less you say, the more you get. So the less relationships I have, the more I get out of them. The more relationships I have, the less I get out of each. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you yeah. can't, we only have so many hours in the day. And the question is, where are you going to put your your time and energy? And, yeah. and there's a threshold of how much someone can handle me. <laughs> that like, is very true. There's a certain amount of time where they're just like, I need a time out. Right. <laughs> Maybe you got to spread it out then. Yeah, that's why I'm probably Marty's, Marty's other <laughs> yeah. partner. Tag, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to kind of go back to the the point of the value system. Like you can't be, everybody minimizes differently. Everybody has a different chunk of noise in their life, right? Mm. And really what it is isn't about what exactly you minimize because you have to start with what's overwhelming in your life. What's noise? Where are you un- incapable of thinking anymore because there's too much shit going on? Where are the relationship? Where are you drowning in relationships? Where are you drowning in stuff? What room are you avoiding in your house? Mm. What drawer don't you open anymore? Right? And start with whatever's there and reduce the noise out. But in order to do that, you have to address your value system. 
just yeah. like you would if you're addressing a monogamous relationship to a polyamorous relationship you have to address the value system and if you guys don't value the same things like if you start giving away all of your beautiful suits right right and someone else gives starts giving them away because they don't value your suits anymore but you still value them there's going to be a clash right and i went from you know that guy walking down wall street trying to be valued by the things that he owned to someone now that has been in 13 countries in a year and i've had one suitcase, one backpack, mm-hmm. and a little <laughs> smaller, Bigger. yeah, mm-hmm. smaller, uh, yeah, whatever you call it. I got in purse. Italy. Mountain man purse. It's a mountain man purse. <laughs> but I think so. I cleared the the objects out of my life. Did uh, you do that intentionally, or what was there a process in there for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always correlated noise in my head to objects that I can visually see. Like I understood when Marty said that it had been going on in my head. I'd never verbalized it, but I'd always correlated that. So I had been practicing minimalism or trying to for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I think my environment and the the people that I spent time around and it it was just that was the points of value. And Mm -hmm. I, I was struggling to if I don't have these things, how am I valuable? It really was all I've all I've learned well and, now it's the opposite now we yeah. cause people to be more minimalist right like people meet us and they're like they hang out with us for a while and they're like why are you so happy i'm like i don't have to manage all of this shit that you have to manage right and they're mm-hmm. like oh they're like oh i need to start getting rid of some of my stuff like i think at least a dozen people that we've crossed paths with have started to minimize life mm-hmm. now i get i get reports from people that i passed <laughs> You know, we talked to you seven months ago. Yeah. I got a picture. Look what I just got rid of. All of this stuff. You'd be so proud of me. I'm like, how do you feel? They're like so relieved, so mm-hmm. light. And it's like, that's the point, right? Do this for yourself. Get rid of all the stuff. Yeah. Clear it all out. And then make room for making big, like taking more time for the decisions that matter to you. Mm-hmm. Taking more time for the relationships that matter to you. Take more time to scrutinize shit. Like now we're at a point in our minimalism where what do we produce? Half a bag of garbage a week. And the rest is recycling and then the yep. rest is compost and the compost we now have a friendly pig nearby literally a pig that they go to <laughs> a, pigs. a bunch of pigs yeah and they eat all of our like we made a deal with scraps the, yeah. they eat the scraps and we make sure that they're clean for the pigs and like, they take all the scraps <laughs> so now we have like a zero footprint on our actual wet yeah like compostable stuff but now we realize that we have too many recyclables we have too many containers too much cardboard too much this stuff because we're not buying from bin stores and what's funny is that the focus on too much recycling wouldn't have even been possible in a world to see a couple years ago it just went like no in our house it was like yeah great recycling out done and now and especially thanks to quarantine because they weren't picking up recycling it was really easy to see it was just literally this growing mound that we could that we couldn't unsee but what's crazy is all of the stuff that stands out now there's no way that it could have stood out before because it was way too noisy and marty i have to credit you there's a reason that you get reports back from people is that this is this is really you this is a, a big focus and i have to thank you personally because you have taken a lot of it on i mean you. you really you really were the the main lead in clearing us out of that house. You've been really intentional about the objects that we add back into our life. And I well, really I want to thank that. you too because you never got in the way of anything. I think you were in shock. <laughs> well, totally I mean, I shock. came home from a trip. I'm like, 
we'll sell everything and move abroad. And like, I've been resistant for a year. So like I put you in a state of shock mm -hmm. and then <laughs> I realized that I put everybody in the state of shock. And then I realized I needed to take advantage of that state of shock from our family standpoint so that they couldn't even formulate an idea before I cleared that house. Mm -hmm. And then I just went at it and you allowed for it. You got out of the way of it. You didn't hang on to anything. No, I do want to talk about the things that were hard to get rid of. So there were a couple of questions that came up and I know for me, it was Sex really... Toys. <laughs> there were just so many. It was so, so hard. There were so many. It was like a whole... No, I'm just kidding. No, no. no, no. <laughs> I think I had three, and I tried to travel with two, and I'm down to one now. But I'm, I'm good with that. Just that batteries. One. Just, yeah, just need batteries. No, but books. Rechargeable books. batteries. <laughs> <laughs> like trying to get serious Sorry. okay serious serious note no books were really hard for me to get rid of because i did and have always valued learning and the books were a very tangible item i have a very can i respond to that yeah i think that's brilliant that you brought that up because i had that experience momentarily with the kids book until my stepmom was like one of the schools burnt down mm -hmm. in like East Aurora, which is not a well-off area and doesn't have the resources. And it's like a kid's school. So yeah. the library burned and we're like, oh, here's all of our kids' books, which we would have held on to as hoarders of yeah. nostalgia. Hoarding nostalgia yeah. is what I'll call it's a hoarding, it. Right? Oh my God, that's so good. Hoarding nostalgia. And I want to bring up this concept of ownership. Because I think that there's something inherent in this idea that causes consumption is connected to ownership. I need to buy that because I need to own it. And I think where we're headed, hopefully in society, is more sharing. <laughs> That's why I think it's so connected to polyamory. We share people. We don't own people. We share our experiences with, with people. But I think it's the same thing with objects. And back to those books, the, what made me feel good is I gave those two different people. I shared something I valued and I passed it along to someone else knowing that they were going to value that too. But now I want to talk about like, what does the sharing Wait, economy well, look like? Well, no, the, the other part about that is all that knowledge that sits in those books and all that entertainment for all of those kids, for our kids was sat in boxes. Yeah. And then they're not doing anything in the world. They're mm -hmm. not accessible to those who could utilize them. They're just nostalgic consumption. Mm -hmm. Right. And that doesn't say even nostalgic anchors, because sometimes that. Yeah. Well, every anchor. object felt mm -hmm. like an anchor when mm -hmm. I started purging it. And I was like, oh, this is like as I got rid of it, it kept getting lighter. Yeah. So the question is, do we need to really own anything? We had a, a really cool experience when we got to the North Island here in New Zealand, where we went to a marae, which is a Maori center where you basically sleep in a, this big, big house slash room. And we needed sleeping bags and we don't travel with sleeping bags. And we haven't, and we thought about buying them. We went into a store and we're like, fuck no, that's really expensive. Why would we buy them for five days worth? And so I reached out to this Facebook community. So polyamorous. Polyamor it was actually the Polyamorous New Zealand Facebook group. So thank you. I love you guys. And they just, everybody was like, oh yeah, I've got two. Oh yeah, I've got, you know, I've got a sleeping bag that you can borrow. Brought Someone them to brought us. them to us. So all I had to get over was, do I need to own these things that I need temporarily? No. Can I get over myself and ask people I don't know to borrow them? Yes. And I love, I have to say, I love, 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 love Amanda Palmer for highlighting the same thing. She's an artist. She was a singer in Dresden Dolls. She has a really great TED Talk called The Art of Asking and in a book that now she expands on, on that concept. But she really gets that there's a beautiful exchange in the art of asking for something, that there's some exchange beyond the material good because if I'm the person that owns it and I have it and I can give it to someone that feels good, like, oh, wow, I get to provide something for them. And that that gives me satisfaction. And obviously, if I'm someone that needs to borrow that thing, 
that feels really good too. And and that there's this incredible human exchange. So I'm not just, exchanging humans. No, <laughs> true. <laughs> exchange, exchange of energy. So thank you. Exchange between humans, exchange of energy that is connected to stuff and it's really beautiful. So I do think that that's maybe more of where we're going in the world, the sharing economy. The question is how do we level it up? Now? Hey, it's Kyle. I wanted to take 60 seconds to tell you more about Amory's mission. One year ago, we started Amory with the intention to bring more love into the world. And now, with listeners in 47 countries, I think we're doing just that. But we want to do more, and we really appreciate your support in, in getting to that goal that we have, which is really to expand and share and normalize polyamory, but also improve relationships however they are in the world. So we're now in the process of creating a documentary, we're writing books, we're active on Instagram, supporting people, uh, we're creating content on Patreon. There's so many ways that we want to continue to grow and connect with people and build this community. And we'd love your support and for you to be a part of that community. And the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com backslash Emory podcast and support us there at any level that works for you. We really appreciate you. Now back to the episode. I mean, when I, I feel like when I started to yeah remove a lot of the object noise, then I started hitting the relationship noise. And there were certain relationships in my life that were really heavy that I felt like were burdens and I was carrying them around. And a lot, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of things that were expected of me in those relationships that I couldn't give or was too much. And I think those were some of the things that I then, once I cleared the the objects that were kind of consuming my brain and, and these other things. And I started focusing on my relationships. Minimizing obligation. Obligation, mm. I think yeah, that's the word I was going for, is uh, I started seeing how much obligation were in my relationships. And, and a lot of that ties to codependency. And I think some of the things that I've been working on within my relationships and, you know, that, that contrast was a, a bit of what I was talking about is now in a lot of my friendships and people that I, I know all over the world that are my good friends. I mean, we're not obligated to do anything for each other. We, we enjoy the time that we, and we enjoy staying in touch. We enjoy bringing things to each other's lives, being there if, if we're needed, but there's no obligation. And it's such a different thing where we're not obligated to respond in a certain period of time or we get mad. We're not res- obligated to respond. And then we feel like we're not valuable or we're not liked or there's something wrong. And I think those are a lot of the things that I've started to, to cultivate in my and like my friendships that I think are, are a value system of how I want to relate. Mm. Well, I think you're putting all of the rules uh, out in the open to be seen in all of those relations, like those are relational attachments, kind of like what we did with our objects is we exposed them to the light of our scrutiny and our, and we measured them against our value system. And now you're doing that in relationships and you're looking and scrutinizing observing your relationships and seeing where there's obligation and reducing it and being really clear about it which i think is a polyamorous value system of transparency and honesty and communication and i think these are the things that you now are doing in all of your relationships whether they're platonic and friendship based or they're love based and and deeper and it's funny because i think travel has become this excuse for me to Mm -hmm. not have to get back to people and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be traveling in New Zealand and Australia and everyone will kind of like give me a break. 
Exactly. And but then every time I go back to the US, I kind of like cultivate again this like unhealthy obligation filled mm. relationship and then, and then I've like been like seeing it and I'm like, oh, "I need to yeah. stop doing that." So and, try to go back yeah. like I did and talk to five people. <laughs> yeah. Right? And be like, "You're one of the five people I decided to talk to. It doesn't matter if you want to talk to me. I understand that if I'm like a waste of your time." So yeah. like to get I was really raw about it, but to get to the point of then those relationships that I did connect with meant so much more. I didn't have a burden of time where I'm wasting it with someone who just wants to tell me all about their life and wants to know nothing about my life. Just someone who's like, you have to check this box and come over for whatever reason when that doesn't work for me. You know, I don't have a vehicle anymore. So I feel like one of the things I really did do in minimizing my life and moving and travel as an accelerator and all of this is that I did make it much harder to consume me, you know, I made it much, I, it's just, if minimalism is to look at everything you're consuming, I'm also looking at everything that's consuming me. And quite often objects were consuming me. Mm. It, they were consuming me in the neglect that I had towards them. What about people consuming you? Yeah. Mm. People all, you know, eating me, consuming me, different <laughs> things. Like, and I, I don't, we'll talk about that, <laughs> that, but no, like the idea of like, yeah, I don't, I did this hardcore with my dad, right? When we went to Brazil, like the only thing my dad wanted to talk about was fucking money and everything was equating to money. And I think this may be this because this is like the Indian father son relationship is like, everything is measured against fucking money. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm not going to satisfy you in how I relate to money. So we, I had to take it off the table. But when I took the conversation about money off the table, we had nothing to talk about. Our relationship was totally shallow. So it broke, but it was really important that it broke because then my dad had to take a look at it. Like, we have to talk about other things mm -hmm. and we have to get deeper and we have to get more meaningful in this. And then the relationship got stronger. Mm. I need to clear my soul of something that someone said to me this week that I would say was made me angry. And they're a, they're a college friend and they said that they liked me better when I was in college and that, or that I was a better friend when I was in college. And I think typically in the past that would have really upset me in the way of thinking, oh, there's something I'm doing wrong. But now I've come so far to realize that you're right. I'm actually not giving you as much. I was giving you way too much. I was giving you everything you wanted. I was actually even being someone that you wanted mm. and uh, or at least showing you those sides that that you approved of. And I think now I'm realizing, yeah, I, I can't give everything to everyone. I can't be this person for them. And I'm, and I, and like, I'm not going to be the same friend that I was before. Cause I was really trying to give, I was giving too much more than I could really handle. That was healthy. And more than you're willing to give now. Like this mm -hmm. other thing, like relationships change. Yeah. Friendships change. I used to yeah. get really pissed off about friendships changing until I ended my relationship with my best friend 23 years, because I don't have any animosity towards him nothing but love for him i always will he would lay down in traffic for me and i would have done the same for him and we have but that's the problem that the problem is that we would lay down in traffic for each other and therefore we play in traffic right mm -hmm. and like you know we made each other's lives inadvertently worse because like two of the elements coming that we, together we that. created mm -hmm. yeah we, we created uh, problems for each other's worlds because of these things like loyalty and so like friendships come to an end and that friendship mm -hmm. came to an end, but I want the best for him, his family, his child, his partner, his whole future. I want nothing but greatness for him. But, uh, but that, that relates back to things that 
if we're talking about in the object world, a thing that's in a box because it's nostalgic, but it's not giving anyone relationships. Pleasure. We have relationships, yeah, that we hold on to and that people hold on to us. But in reality, we've been friends since we were mm sixteen years old. (laughs) But in reality, what we're doing is perhaps holding each other back from growth that we know that it's like natural that we that we want to do that we need to do. So it's I think we can outgrow relationships, and there's nothing wrong with that by energetically letting go of those we both free ourselves and free the other person to make new and stronger and better connections that can continue that growth on both sides. I've been thinking about this idea lately of what if I never had a breakup ever again? And I think, you know, what what would make that possible? And and I think one thing that would make it possible is allowing for the the change and evolution of a relationship. By breakup, you mean like a messy breakup, like the typical, yeah, never think... going to talk to that person again, done. Yeah, the okay. typical breakup, right? Yeah. Which is never, it's rarely very clean and, mm-hmm. and you know, respectful and, and all those things. And I think if I ever need to end a relationship in the future, which is going to be lead to sadness and loss and pain, for me, I think it would it would need to be something like what Marty was talking about, which is like this is unhealthy. Like our, for some reason, our bond with each other is unhealthy, and I think that would be the only reason I would I would do that with a friend or or mm-hmm. a partner or anything. I think what I'm hearing is breaking attachments, right? And I think the same thing goes for minimalism to change your attachment to an object, whether it's the suits in your closet. For me, it was getting rid of uh, the kitchen stuff, right? That the whole house took me 43 days to clear. Mm-hmm. A whole four floor, mm-hmm. three bedroom, two car garage, storage garage house took me 43 days to get to sale ready. Seven to nine of those days were the kitchen, right? And there was a reason I had like a lot of nostalgia, but I also had a lot of utility. Like I love to cook and I used and almost everything in that kitchen. So I want to make sure it got given to someone that would use it again. So I went through and carefully changed it, but I had to detach all of my relationship to these things to, to prove that, okay, I can't travel with all of these things. This is, this is will hold me back from the things that I want. And I think this is where we have to get to the point of like, do you have to sacrifice as a minimalist? Yes. You have to sacrifice some of these attachments, some of these connections to have it be better, you know, now to utilize other people's kitchen equipment to be overjoyed when I go into a kitchen like we have here. I'm like, oh, there's fucking knives or pans or whatever. And I travel with a knife and I travel with a pan. But like to have like a, I have a pantry now. It's Mm -hmm. like a huge thing for me, but it's temporary. What was your process of detachment for those those items that I think you were? Well, it's taking the value system that you have and measuring everything against it, right? Instead of taking the map of society that says, have these objects in these order in this set for this duration of your life, it's like, Break that all down and be like, why do I value these objects? Why do I, what do I value in this relationship, right? I value honesty. Am I getting honesty from this relationship? If I'm not getting honesty from this relationship, it's on the, it's on the cutting board, mm. right? <laughs> and, and, or it has to be fixed. Am I willing to repair this relationship that doesn't have honesty? Mm. Well, no, because it's too consumption. I don't think it has a chance of being repaired. Okay, well, this person or relationship is getting cut from a top priority to a low priority, if at all, right? And the same thing goes with my objects in my kitchen. Am I, yes, I'm gonna miss this object. I have a lot of nostalgia. I've cooked a thousand meals with this object and I want this object to go somewhere well and I want it to be good and I want it to be reutilized, but I have to detach from this object now. 
right? It doesn't hit my value system of being able to travel with six suitcases. It's too much, right? My value system became experiences over object. Those experience mattered more. The objects I buy mattered more. Something hit me out of what you just said. That's does this relationship need to be repaired? Because not all relationships are throwaway relationships. And even if just like an object, if that is a highly valuable object, but it just needs to be fixed or repaired, can we view our relationships that same way? And yeah, putting the energy people, back in, both people have to agree for sure. Both people have to seek repair. Totally. To make it work. Totally. Right? But those are the relationships that you know that this is worth it. Like this is totally worth right. it. Right. So you take your value system and you measure it against it. Is it worth trying, you know, is it worth trying to keep a relationship with this person? Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. You know, even even in you and I's toughest time, Kyle, like when we have really hard times, it, it could be much easier in a monogamous relationship to be like, oh, I'm fucking this up because I know then if I disconnect from you, you two struggle and then Amory struggles and then our mission in the world struggles. And it's like, OK, is it worth repair? Mm -hmm. Well, it's worth repair for more mm -hmm. than just you and I. It's worth repair for the mission mm -hmm. of Amory and for men at large. It's, it's worth repair because I care about your two's relationship. Mm -hmm. It's worth repair for the value that it does add to my life. So it's like, okay, then that's an easy one to keep and yeah. do work on. The universe picked us for each other. Right. <laughs> but like on, on, the, on the flip side, you know, I got rid of a lot of relationships that didn't matter. I realized those was really one-sided, mm -hmm. you know, and. Yeah. Did you finish your concept, Kyle, about breakup, that breakup idea? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, the only thing that was attached to that is one of the things I really like about meeting people, you know, in the, in like the ethical non-monogamy polyamory community is that there are, there are like hundreds, if not thousands of hybrids of value systems. And I think value systems around gender, value mm -hmm. systems around sexuality and, and how they think about their life. And mm -hmm. I think what I like is being exposed to those different value systems so I can learn and take pieces of it for my own. And, and I think being exposed to things that I've never been exposed to before, and I'm being drawn to different types of people that are, are yeah, they're outside the, the boundaries of the community mm -hmm. that I was, that I grew up in. And this is a, a highly dynamic, diverse community mm -hmm. and in not just race, yeah. you know, or any other thing. It's about ideas of diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely agree. I was just thinking I'm so grateful for this community because we've connected to your somebody that you're very in touch with right now that you hope to go see at some point in the near future. Mm -hmm. And she and I were just messaging. And one of the things that she shared was hard conversations are love. And I really liked that hard conversations are love because it's worth that repair. So anyone, if you value someone enough, you value them enough to go through the hard conversations and you know that that's worth keeping. And I kind of pair that with the Marie Kondo, does this object bring me joy? So there's two things that I think with people that I keep in mind at the same time. Does this person bring me joy? But then not only, it's not only about always being joyful with this person, it's, is the repair worth it? You know, are the hard conversations worth it? And that I value both of those. I want to take it a step outside of ourselves. And also, is it serving my community or the world mm. and add those in so it's not so self-centered because sometimes what saves me and Kyle for me is that it's serving a community mm. right yeah. it's and it's really it's bigger yeah. than us and I'm right? really appreciative of same that. thing goes for when you're buying objects mm. right so the opposite side of the minimalist conversation is what all did I get rid of or what did I buy and what do I keep Right. So innovation is really important to me when it comes to like cooking. Right. So I cook fairly well. 
and I like very well. Uh, so very well. You know, I travel with a, a global knife with air grooves that's balanced, and I picked, I bought, I chose this knife after reviewing several in several households because I gave my last Henkel knife away in Brazil on our last day there, and like the knife is really important to me. Kitchen supplies and innovation is really important to me. Well, now. I need to have something of high utility that I know I can use anywhere that doesn't bottleneck my ability to serve food to my family and to myself, which is part of something I value. I value nurturing with food. Acts of service are my love language. Food is my way of showing love. So this is an item that I add that's worth the scrutiny. It's worth the expense. It's worth me shopping with my moral compass, which is the next part, right? Like I just bought a stick blender huge purchase for me mm-hmm. right why is it a huge purchase for me well it number one it's heavy number two i had really gotten to a point where we haven't had a blender or any type of food processor and i, I have all these dishes that i'm like fucking hand smashing that i'm like i, I want, don't know how you mm-hmm. did it without I, that i want this you blender. Made pumpkin soup pumpkin soup yeah. with no hand blender yeah <laughs> you know but i want i want I, I was looking for a stick blender and i was mm-hmm. shopping online and i'm looking okay well the one that I want, the one I found is like $60. But then we're in lockdown level two. The retail stores here have opened slightly. And I walk into a, a nice local kitchen type supply shop. And the lady there is working. She's got a saver store, right? And the, the, they have all high-end stuff in there. And I found this Swiss made $180 stick blender that is higher quality. It's manufactured by the same company for 30 years. It's like basically family owned. I'm going to help this small shop with this purchase instead of a big box Mm -hmm. store. It's a minimalist product. It's all these things that I get to value into why I make this purchase and why I spend the money. And I have the money to buy it because I don't buy nonsense shit Mm -hmm. all day long. So like, I think it's really kind of applying that, going through that whole value system of how do I add something Mm -hmm. in and really now focusing in on the carbon footprint Mm -hmm. of the packaging. Yeah. I love your consciousness around this. I know that somebody asked us if we had to give up any hobbies when we became minimalists or, you know, in our current lifestyle. And I actually think it's the opposite now. And especially with kids stuff, I see how much we actually value creativity in how much art supplies the kids have, because that's something that we can find that they use. It's, it's very, very, very applicable. And so that's the type of stuff that we invest in for our kids. And it's really neat to see our value system kind of come out in what we create for them. And they can have just as much fun with a stick, seriously. They have like sticks that they keep for months. So I don't know. It's a beautiful thing, objects with kids. And one of the things we didn't talk about is you're minimizing your life. You're minimizing your expenses. What does that allow? That allows for you to work less. And Mm. if you work less, I think which is kind of the, the big factor that I've felt where I've now had more time for my relationships, more time for my own, you know, my own health, my own self practices and things that I need. But even especially now with the, the quarantine, it's been a really good time for me to work on repairing certain relationships that needed to be repaired with, you know, with my family and, and certain things that I've gone through with them. But I think the the thing that people don't realize is when you minimize your expenses, that opens you up to do more of the things that you want to do because you don't have, you're not obligated financially mm-hmm. to those objects or to that life that, that costs you money. Um, and you're burning less you to, energy on maintaining. And- yeah, then you have to work eight to 10 to 12, God knows more than that, days 
when that starts freeing up, your your life looks really different. Yeah, I don't like, work eight hour days. The expense part and the the object part, like I'm really fucked lately, right? Like I've been in a down mood. I'm gonna put that out there on our podcast. I'm overwhelmed in a lot of categories of life. I feel like I'm changing, going mm-hmm. through some goop of my own in the caterpillar thing. But I broke my fucking phone, right? And here's something that can fucking kill a minimalist, right? I have I have a backup phone. I'm a tech guy. I have Pixel Three. I have a 128 gig Pixel 3, which is like harder to find even in the States to buy. Like, And then I know that it's going to be hard to repair, but it's globally unlocked. And I use Google Fi for service. And I have like I run a fucking company that does we serve Google products. Like at the end of the day, this phone unlocks my ability to do absolutely everything at the mm-hmm. pace that I do it. And it's broken. Uh, I took it in for repair here and they broke it more. And now I'm waiting for an insurance replacement. It's going to take two weeks before I see this phone and be done with this on top of the month or so it's already been. And I'm, I have, because this is, I don't have a lot of objects. This object hits me pretty hard, but on the flip side of that, I don't have a lot of urgency in my life anymore because I minimized the need for that. So mostly what's happening right now is I'm inconvenienced, Mm -hmm. right? But because I've minimized so much of the, the threat, that's out there because I don't need that much and I don't need to spend that much and I don't really need to be that connected. It's just hurting from a a standpoint of what I'm used to, you know? And so it's kind of like having to balance that all out. Like I really can't complain. I'll have a new phone in two weeks. It's refurbished and Mm -hmm. I've solved the problem and I was patient with the guy that couldn't repair it. And, Mm -hmm. but it really knocked me out. Mm -hmm. So like in a minimalist life, if I lose an object, it can be really impactful, especially traveling. And I think the universe has been seeming to put put that on the on the table for for a lesson for you in some way or to teach you something. Yeah, fuck several universe. times, several times yeah. on the, in I, this trip. Right? I've, yeah, for the last few the weeks, I've really been like fuck the universe for these lessons right now. Like I I get it, I get that this is the time that I have to learn this lesson. I get that I I have to deal with these stresses, but I'm away from my other partner. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, tired of being away from my other partner the days are flying by and at the same time the destination is so unknown as to where these days are flying to because we don't know where we're going to even be or live after september of this year and what's going to open so i'm holding my breath at and moving a thousand miles an hour and then i get a wrench in my Mm. my machine Mm -hmm. which is a, a broken digital ninja weapon which is my fucking phone. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to thank you and commend you, Marty, for not only sharing and being vulnerable on this podcast right now, but just going through the change and the transformation that you're going through. And I know it can feel I know that you thrive on certainty. I know you well enough to know that. And I know it's really hard to sit with uncertainty. And I see you sitting with it every day. And I know how hard it is to be away from your partner and that this is an extended period. And I see you putting in the effort to stay connected to her and her stay connected to you. So I know that this is a whole bunch of variables that are really hard. And I see you growing through it at the same time. Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying to put my time into things that build a future that I want, regardless of when that future is going to happen. So even the project that I'm doing with the, the Maori Marae, I'm working on building on their website, but I'm learning their food sovereignty principles in the process. And so this kind of goes back into our minimalism of like staying local and, and all these values. So I'm going to be writing more about it in Patreon. I'm going to be adding 
stuff from Clear the Noise, which is a speech I've been writing for way too long. <laughs> but I, I have a really clear concept of how clearing the noise in life is a way to find your centeredness, yeah. have time to examine your beliefs and what's valued. I'm really curious if people have had similar experiences to us. You know, is it just us that we've happened to go through polyamory and minimalism together? Is there, are there more connections that other people have had or are experiencing? And yeah, I'm just really curious to put this out into the world and see what kind of response we get back from, from our community. My suggestion is this, if you're going to shift your lifestyle from monogamous to polyamorous and you're going to change fucking everything about how you believe in relating, what you believe in, what's possible in love and all these things, I would also then highly recommend considering how you relate to objects and your mm -hmm. things and your consumption, because I believe strongly that if you change what you consume from an object standpoint and why you consume it, you examine those value systems, a really healthy cohort of change to mm -hmm. a relationship structure because yeah. it's, it's really powerful. It's a relationship upgrade. And I think there's a big correlation with a transactional relationship with objects with a transactional relationship with people. Mm. And I think I was in a transactional relationship with both of those. And now I've come to a more symbiotic, let's say, relationship. <laughs> the kids taught me that word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the symbiotic oh, relationship with, mm -hmm. with people and, and flowing with who they are, what their needs are, what their wants are, and understanding mm -hmm. more on an emotional level, how can we get along, coexist, and bring each other things that are, are beneficial. Yeah, I think that. transactional is too much cost versus benefit. Like it has to balance out where tit for tat becomes a very strong aspect. And uh, I used to even get nervous when people would do something nice for me because I was like, oh shit. Because well, it triggers reciprocity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, what do I well, owe now? It's a and how much? And are they gonna get mad? I mean, I've had people get mad at me for not giving enough in return. See, these, these are weapons of influence that are used in manipulation practices. So the, if you're interested in that, it's Robert Cialdini's book on called Influence. Hmm. And the idea of you do something for someone triggers a reciprocity where they have to do something back for you. It's a whole, our whole society is built on that. It's built into the language, obrigado, and, mm -hmm. and in Portuguese is obliged. You do something for someone, you well, respond with yeah, obliged. Thank you. It's yeah. obliged. Yeah, right? much obliged. Like, so like, yeah. it's, it, ah. so mm -hmm. like the idea is to get really clear on these relationships, pick rules together. It's never like get out of the tit for tat kind of thing. Be willing to break integrity. Be willing to break stuff. Like, and mm -hmm. people are like, have integrity, but having integrity when a system is broken means that you're just keeping together something whole that needs to break. Mm. Right. And like if someone goes into breach, it no longer has integrity. Break it like break something that doesn't work. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I think younger people are understanding the the digital world that we live in and how much if we're taking our practices of of like of being human with each other into a digital realm. And then we have these unlimited potential connections and, and access is so high, then we, yeah, we, we don't have the, the ability to even keep up with all of it. And then it creates this tension. Well, it's digital or, noise. Yeah, digital noise. So like how many things are you signed up for that you have a profile for that you don't know you have a profile for, right? That, you know, how many of you have a fucking MySpace account that you don't really know if you deleted it or not, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, Does that still exist? You know, some of you might even have a Friendster account. That's how big of a fucking loser you were. <laughs> like at the end of the day, like when, when you you have to apply these principles to every area of your life. Like to me, being a minimalist 
means that I use minimal values in all areas of life, digital, relational, objects, myself, right? These, these principles are about consume less, have less noise, be more present. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think younger people are growing up with the digital access, you know, and, and so you can reach anybody anywhere, anytime. And now, and that's where I've learned the whole, hey, I'm not going to respond to you for maybe a while, but it doesn't mean I don't, like I'm, I'm blowing you off. And just even having those conversations is something that younger people have brought to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, I really addicted. like that. Mm-hmm. We're addicted. I, the best thing, you know, what you said about this phone being broken right now and the fucking universe giving me this fucking lesson right now is like, yeah, this is my lesson right now. My remaining addictions in life are coffee and my phone. And like sometimes weed when it's available. But like, other than that, like I was sober for eight weeks straight. What am I addicted to? My fucking phone, mm-hmm. right? My phone and coffee. Now my phone doesn't even work when I'm off Wi-Fi. I don't have fucking phone service. So if I go anywhere, I'm disconnected. Like I I have to deal with that. Yeah, and I commend you because where you were a few months ago when we, you know, were suddenly cut off from internet and everything was is a different place than, than where you are now. So yeah, now I'm just annoyed. Before I had a panic attack. Now yeah. I'm just like frustrated and want to like and kick a fucking progress. neighbor stranger. Yeah, it's huge progress. It's <laughs> huge progress, Marty. Yeah. So any final thoughts? Stop consuming shit. <laughs> like stop it. Stop, 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 <laughs> stop it. And your life will be better. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that that's just guaranteed. Like pick any area of your life. First, stop consuming more of that shit. Second, clean it all up. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a junk drawer, email, or a whole fucking house, or relationships, or all the losers you got to stop hanging out with, whatever. Yeah, and if people wonder why I don't wear a lot of clothes, it's my minimalism uh, practices <laughs> well, and values. Realistically, like when you talked about suits, I'm like, I don't have a suit. I don't have a button-down shirt right now. I have like three hoodies. I don't have a yeah. winter jacket. I'm like, I'm sitting here as like, we're going into winter here. It's going to be mod- mild winter, but I'm like, psh- totally not prepared. I think Mm -hmm. this is the big difference is before I felt like I had to be prepared for everything. Mm -hmm. Now that I don't have a whole lot of shit, if I need something, I have the resources to go get it. Mm -hmm. And now if I go get it, I might not buy it. I might borrow it. Yeah. Or I buy it secondhand or I buy something of super high utility that I'm going to use the fuck out of. Right. right. And I wear my clothes until they fall apart. It's additive. You're yeah. adding things that you realize you need rather than right. walking around the earth with everything. Right. And then to use it. Mm-hmm. And then the more you do this, the more you get to pick more fun things to do. Like, for instance, like now, how do I buy my next round of clothes is more slow fashion? How do I buy them with higher utility? How do I buy mm-hmm. them from more responsible sources? Right. And I can take my time to figure yeah. out something that I really want to that it really aligns with my value system. Yeah. It's an honor to be here at this point yeah. to have the ability to look at our value system and decide from there versus a stressed out place, not intentional. So plus innovative products become a whole lot more fun. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, this saves me. I can do 10 things with this and it saves me on it's B Corporation and it's green, you know, it's like neutral energy consumption. I'm like, bingo, I got my thing I'm buying fucking forever. Well, right? we know what turns Marty on. Yeah. <laughs> Eco products. <laughs> Eco products. If you made it this far, thank you, thank you for listening. And uh, we hope that you got some good connections out of minimalism and polyamory. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Amory. We've got so much more that we want to share with you. And our podcast isn't the only platform. We've got written stuff, we've got videos, and we put everything. We've got 50 plus 
posts now and more and more every day of all of our private journal entries. We're talking our intimate content here. Um, And that's for those of you who wish to go on a deeper journey with us. Um, We think that there's so much more value that we can share with a smaller group of people who are really ready to do the work in your own lives. If that's you, please take a look at our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Amory podcast. There's so much more that we'd love to share with you. Um, And if you're not able to contribute on a monthly basis, you can always share us. Share with your friends, do a post. We appreciate anything that you can do to help us get the word out to have more vulnerable conversations in this world. Thanks again.